Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. We'll pick up concerning the candlestick. We finished the lesson about the table of showbread in verse 30, so pick up with verse 31. Verse 31, and we'll read the rest of the chapter because the rest of it has to do with the uh, seven-branch golden candlestick. So, Exodus 25, verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work, shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. By the way, when it comes to describing this, uh, sometimes you can find pictures in a Bible dictionary or in some uh, Bibles you have pictures of these pieces of furniture. And uh, it's very hard to describe, but all of these uh, that we'll read of have... uh, shape to the six branches of one shaft in the middle and the six the three branches on either side and then these bowls for the oil and uh, flowers and knops and and some of it's pictured like an almond and uh, various descriptions and it would be good if you could find a picture there and then when what we're reading this you can understand about what you visualize as a seven branch candlestick actually Candlestick may be leading you a little uh, astray because it has to do with uh, the the lamp with a center shaft and three branches on each side, and there's places for oil to be poured in them uh, in a bowl, and they have a wick in there that you light and keep it going. That's why you have all this description that we're going to. Uh, so we pick up with verse 32, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like unto almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds, with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold, and thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. That means they'll... The light that's given will shine upon the central, the center of this uh, uh, candle, candlestick. Uh, give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which will show thee in the mount. So everything that God told Moses to make was after the pattern that he had showed him in the mount. It was all to follow God's pattern. And Moses was very particular and meticulous about following the instructions that he had received of how to build the tabernacle. Now then, if you look back in verse 31, thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. So we find that uh, we come to this particular, we call it a piece of furniture. We said that there are furnishings from within all the way out to the front. And then in the courtyard in front, and uh, if you have a picture, you remember out in the front you have the uh, 
you have the uh, if I can find mine somewhere I've got it here uh, you have the brazen altar out at the entrance of the gate if you're looking at your diagram and that's the first thing you come across entering the gate on the east side and then you come by this brazen labor and then you come under the veil the first veil and then on the right you see the table of showbread on the left you see the the uh, golden candlestick, and in the middle of that you see the uh, uh, golden altar of incense. And then after the second veil, in the Holy of Holies, you can see a mark back there where you have the Ark of the Covenant. And then, of course, there's a lot of details about this court fence around here that we'll discuss later on in our lessons, which are it's very impressive and very important to, to study that part of it. But anyway, I just wanted to remind you that that's what you'll find there. Now then, uh, there, there's so much to be taught about this that uh, we don't want to just pass over it lightly, but we don't want to bore you with it either. But the first thing we want to realize is that we're studying the furniture of the tabernacle. And this tabernacle is perfect, is, is as perfect as can be a type of Christ, a picture or type. And everything about the tabernacle spoke of Christ. Uh, in fact, there's one scripture in the Psalms I haven't given you, and I don't have it close at hand, that says that in the temple, or in the tabernacle, every whit uttereth His glory. So everything speaks of God's glory that's in there. It tells us that that's the case of it. And... Uh, so everything spoke of Christ. Every piece of furniture talked about some aspect of Christ. And every part of the tabernacle, the curtains and pins and pillars and bars and boards and all of it speak of something about Christ. Now remember, we're studying the tabernacle from God inside where the Shekinah glory was above the mercy seat and in the Holy of Holies out to man. And we've come thus far. We've come out and we've had uh, the veil, and we've already come into the place. We had the table of showbread, now the golden candlestick, and it would be in this order, as I mentioned one time to try to illustrate it to you. If you were to take this building and make the front of it facing east, then this would be on the north side, and this would be on the south side. I don't like to do that. But anyway... <laughs> I did that this morning before I left home and it didn't feel good. Bumped my elbow. So on the tape they'll know what I'm talking about. Alright. <laughs> anyway, we'll continue with this. Uh, <clears throat> so, in the Holy of Holies was that Ark of the Covenant that we've been studying. And remember, it was made of a combination of wood, acacia wood, and also covered with gold. But here this golden candlestick is completely gold. There's no wood involved here. It's all of gold. And this pictures, of course, uh, the go uh, Christ in all of His deity. We know that He was pure gold. And uh, the candlestick is, is the light of this world. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. We'll get to that later on. But as we have come out, we've seen... The Ark of the Covenant inside there had a golden pot of manna. It had Aaron's rod that budded. It had uh, the tables of stone uh, containing the law of God. And all those things were in the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered with a lid. The mercy seat completely covered it. 
and it was made of beaten gold of one piece the mercy seat was. And this was fashioned by the hands of men. And this is a picture of Christ who died uh, by the hands of wicked men. It says, Ye have taken and uh, crucified and slain. We gave you a scripture this morning, I believe it's Acts 2.23, is it? Where He's delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so, this was the meeting place in there between God and man. The high priest went in to represent man and God's presence was in there. And then we dealt with the three pieces of furniture in our last lesson at the table of showbread. And now we come to the the golden candlestick. And we've already studied that table of showbread. And we remember that it was overlaid with, uh, it was a case of wood overlaid with gold. And on the table there was twelve loaves and they were in a row, six in each row. And on the bread there was anointed with frankincense. The bread and the table were one. So Christ and the church are one. The Bible says we're complete in Him. You have all this information. We talked about the bread being made of the finest flour, the type of the humanity of Christ. It was without leaven, leaven or without sin. And it must be put through the fires of the oven before it's ready for the table. So Christ's sufferings are indicated there. And there was an inexhaustible supply of this bread. So Christ is inexhaustible in His supply of the bread of life for men. He says, Whosoever shall eat of this bread shall live forever. He have everlasting life. And uh, He gives us the assurance that there's satisfaction. And then uh, after we've passed that table of showbread, we are involved with this seven-branched golden candlestick. And though this piece of furniture is termed candlestick, there's no candles burning on it. This is kind of misrepresentation in a sense because it really means a lampstand. And uh, of course, it was in the holy place. It's not like you'd have a candle in some thing burning, but it was oil with a wick in it. And that's why it's called uh, a candlestick or a lampstand. And this lampstand foreshadowed Christ as a power for fellowship. Christ supplied the light necessary for fellowship. In fact, the lampstand is within the holy place. And this reveals to us that Christ is as the light of the world. And Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said in another place, uh, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the fact that this lampstand is within the holy place reveals Christ to us in, in that fashion. And in John, let's read John chapter 12, verse 35 and 36. 35 and 36. John 12, 35 and 36. It says, Then, then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Now, he, He's speaking of Himself. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So he was telling them that as long as he was present, they would have the light that they needed to walk by. And that's what we need to realize, that he is the light of the world. The world has never seen... Jesus since they put Him to death. And the unsaved world did not see the resurrected Christ. Only the 
the Christian saw him in his resurrection body. And Christ is now hidden from their eyes. And Christ dwells in the holy place in heaven. And it is the holy place that the priests have access to the light. And so only the Christian has the privilege and access to the Lord in the Holy of Holies, into the holy place. Remember that we pointed out that all believers are priests and they enter into God's presence freely today because of Christ having entered through the veil and have entered into the heavenly temple or tabernacle which the earthly was a pattern of. Remember we read that for you. And therefore, we are bidden to come boldly to the throne of grace and we come into God's presence. Let me read in Hebrews chapter 10 for you, if you will. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. It says in verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. When He died on the cross, He opened up the way. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Symbolical of our cleansing. And then you read over in the book of First uh, Peter chapter 2, chapter 2, I believe it is. First Peter chapter 2, where it tells us that we are uh, priests and therefore we can come into that holy place because all believers are priests in the sight of God. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively stones, now listen, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. And holy priesthood. He's speaking to believers to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God but Jesus Christ. Now down in verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation. And he speaks of those who believe in verse uh uh, six, that those that believe, unto you that believe, he is precious. Uh, in verse seven, he says, unto you that believe, therefore, which believe, is, he is precious. But let's drop down to verse nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, we are bidden as Christians, and we have access into that holy place, and Jesus has already entered in there before us. Now, as far as this world is concerned, right now, it is dark, and it's nighttime in this world. That's why Jesus spoke of Himself being, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But that light was taken out. And He said, uh, when that light was taken out of the world, well, there would be darkness. And of course, we know that to be true. This is a sin-darkened world. Uh, we find over in 1 John chapter 1, let's, let me read for you in 1 John chapter 1 some Scripture that we need to, to look at. Uh, and it's verse uh, 5. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness of all at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Now look at the first part of verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So our fellowship with God is based upon the fact that we're in His light. 
and we walk in the light with Him. And uh, this must speak then of the church age that we need in this day and hour to walk in the light with Christ. Uh, <clears throat> let's go on and read a little bit more. Verses 31 through 40 that we've just read in our text, we find that uh, there's an enormous amount of gold that went into the tabernacle. And surely the Lord is trying to tell us something that this is all pure gold. This seven branch candlestick is pure gold. Uh, it must be precious because gold is called precious in the Bible. It says, Unto you therefore that believe he is precious. So if this represents Christ, he is precious. And the form of this lamp lampstand, we saw the candlestick had six, seven branches, the main stem and then three on either side. And there were three lamps on the central shaft. And uh, it shows us completeness of this light. The knop, you, we read of the knops. Let me just give you some individual thoughts about what we read. The knop represented the unopened bud. It was like a bud that was unopened. And there were three stages. The almond and the bud and the flower and the fruit. So, of this almond, there are three things. The bud, the flower, and the fruit. And the almond is a picture of the resurrection, by the way. It brings forth life. And the material of which is made, we've already stated, that it, that it was nothing but pure gold. No wood is found there. And the light was fed by pure oil. Let's look over in Exodus 27, verse 20, and see how it was fed. The light was fed by pure oil. 27, and verse 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten forth the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. Now, that's the what kept the light burning was the pure oil. Olive oil, it says uh, oil olive here. But it was beaten for light to cause the lamp to burn always. This was not something that was uh, taken like in a, in a wine pre in a press or something and pressed out. But it was beaten by hand in order to produce this. And we find that, of course, uh, it was beat, it was uh, the lampstand was a beaten gold. It was wrought by hammers and skilled workmen. When we think of the lampstand, and this is contrasted, by the way, to the golden calf that uh, Aaron beat out of pure gold. Remember, he fashioned it with a graving tool. But this was made of one piece of gold, or all beaten gold, and it was uh, molded. Uh, into this lampstand that we're talking about. And this beating speaks of the suffering of Christ. And He is glorified now. The gold had to be put on the anvil to be hammered out. So Christ went through sufferings in order to make Himself the true light of this world. Let me give you some Scripture. Look in Luke 24, verse 26. Luke 24, verse 26. It says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? So it speaks of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Let me give you that. 5 and verse 8 says, Though though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So the Bible tells us that Christ went through all of these things. He was under the, the 
beaten hammer, or the hammer was coming upon him. He was, in a sense, placed upon the anvil and hammered out to bring what he did to us. And it was through his sufferings that he perfected that. And if we're to be Christ-like, then we must go through sufferings many times. Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The what? Paul said, the fellowship of his suffering. I think you find that in Philippians 3 verse 10. Let me see if we can find it. Philippians 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So, Paul did not mind experiencing and having fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. You know, we kind of shun that, don't we? We don't want to go through sufferings. But we find that many in the Bible, not only the Apostle Paul, but Peter and other apostles, in fact, they were martyred. They, many of them went through uh, sufferings. And John, the beloved, the one that wrote uh, the book of John, the Gospel of John, and First, Second, and Third John, and the book of Revelation, five books in the New Testament. Remember, before he wrote the book of Revelation, that uh, history claims that he was uh, banished to the Isle of Patmos, that he was boiled in oil, that they tried to, they attempted to kill him, but it didn't happen. I guess God had a better plan for him, and He gave us the book of Revelation. But you see, many of the apostles went through these sufferings. And many Christians throughout the dark ages and to this very day have gone through sufferings. And as I say, we don't welcome it, but uh, the Bible does teach that, uh, that there are many in the Bible that are good illustrations. Moses is a good illustration of suffering. David is one. And the three Hebrew children, remember, they were told to bow down to this uh, image that Darius had set up for them to worship about 100 feet high, 90 to 100 feet high. And they were to bow down and worship when they heard the sound of the music, you know. And they refused to do it. And they were given a second chance. And they said, well, you know, if God wants to, He can deliver us from the burning fire furnace. But if not, we will not bow down. I like that, if not. So, regardless of the outcome, and sometimes it's not God's will to completely deliver. Many of the martyrs of the uh, Christian era from uh, the time of the apostles on even to this day and through ages gone by have suffered martyrdom and have been told that if they would uh, deny the Lord Jesus Christ that they could be spared. How many of you have read that? book I suggested one time, Fox's Book of Martyrs, two, three, four, five, several, okay, but you should read that, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it tells you all about different uh, persecutions from the times of the apostles right on down to through the dark ages, and uh, by the way, we find many of them are being, I'd say, revived, and that's not a good word to use, but uh, repeated, I guess, would be better in our day and hour in parts of the world. There are martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ even today. And not on the scale that they have been in the past, but there may be a time that it will be on the scale of what it has been in the past. So let's pray that it doesn't happen. But on the other hand, we know that it's possible. Jacob is a good illustration. And then every Christian 
is in the school of God. God is making something out of us. And there must be heavy blows and light blows in order for Him to hammer us out and always being made by the hand of God to to bear a light that He would have us to be the light of, just as this represented Christ and His sufferings. And the Bible tells us that Christ went through all these sufferings and that we can go through them just like He did. It says He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, the purpose of the candlestick, I've already read where it it, uh, threw light on the table of showbread. It was the light in the holy place here. We'll call this from that door to here, the holy place. We'll call behind this wall, the veil, the most holy place. And sometimes it's called the holy place and the holy of holies. Most holy place or it's spoken of as the holy of holies. And you have those descriptions of it. And the light also illuminated the candlestick itself. We read about that. It lighted upon the shaft of it as well. And the light revealed the beauty of the vessels that were in the, we'll say the vessels, all the vessels that were there to to take care of this uh, golden candlestick. You remember we read about the, uh, uh, turn from my place, but we read about the tongs. And the snuff dishes shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make with all these vessels. And it tells about the lamps and the light. And all of these things were made out of pure gold. And so that light lit up all. Can you imagine light shining upon all these vessels? As well as spreading the light to the table of showbread over there. It lighted up this holy place. And you know the light revealed the beauty Much like Jesus when He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says He went up in the high mountain apart. One Gospel writer says He went up there to pray. And He was transfigured before them. And His face did shine as the sun. And His raiment was white as the light. I'm sure that in His presence, Peter, James, and John, well, we find that they were more or less smitten to the ground. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only after all the things that transpired. So we find a lot of things revealed concerning that. Now the Lord's ascension, after the Lord's ascension, the church became the light bearer. The local church today is God's light bearer upon this earth. And let me give you some references. First of all, look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus said here, Ye are the light of the world. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we're to be a light bearer like a city that's on the top of a hill. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So he says, men do not take a light and put it under a candle, uh, put it under a bushel. You don't cover it up with a wash tub. You don't cover it up, up with a basket or something so it can't give its light out or whatever. You you let it shine freely. It would smother out in certain instances if no air got to it, wouldn't it? And so he tells us about you're the light of the world. And he said, here, listen, but on a candlestick. Now the candlestick is spoken of as the local church, by the way. That's why you need to put your light in the local church. You know that? 
Because if you want to read that over in the book of Revelation, let me give you that. In Revelation chapter uh, 1, let's look in Revelation chapter 1. When Jesus appeared uh, in His glory to John as He wrote the book of Revelation, let's begin reading with verse uh, 12. John 1 verse 12. It says, And I turned to see the voice of Him, uh, the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. So, Jesus is in the midst of the churches. The seven golden candlesticks. By the way, the seven are representative because there were many more than seven. There were like fifty, hundreds maybe. We don't know how many churches. But these seven were chosen for a specific reason. To reveal a full number, completion and perfection. And we'll find what He says to them in a little bit. But I want you to notice... Uh, It goes on down. Uh, Let's drop down to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Now he says this. The seven stars are the angels. And this is the word messengers. Could be the pastors referred to. The angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And he tells about these churches In chapters 2 and 3, he points them out individually. He had already named them in verse... uh, If you still have it open in uh, chapter 1, he had already named them in verse uh, uh, 11. He says, uh, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it into the seven churches which are in Asia. Now look, under Ephesus, that's one of them, and under Smyrna, under Pergamos, unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So he names the seven there, and then he gives these messages to these seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And he points them out as individual churches. Now then, talking about the candlestick, and we won't have time to uh, expound all that we need to in these verses because we teach it in Revelation. But I want you to notice as he addresses the church of Ephesus. In chapter 2, verse 1, Under the angel or messenger of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now look. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for thy namesake, my namesake, hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, look at this, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They had left their first love. And it says, Remember therefore, look at verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. That's a fall, isn't it? To leave your first love. Christ is the first love. And it says, and repent and do the first works, or else, now here, here you have it, I will come unto thee quickly and re- will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. In other words, your light-bearing effect will be removed if you don't repent. He says, I will remove thy candlestick out of his place. They were to be light-bearers. And a church that was in a condition as they were, uh, would lose their ability to bear the light that they were supposed to bear. 
So you see, even here it's referred to as a candlestick. Now then, the Christian, by the way, is only a wick. And it's only when it's soaked with oil that it can burn. And the other equipment is so that the light can burn brightly. The uh, place for the oil and all of this had to do with the light. You know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what makes our light shine. 